I'm Sean Bowles, and I want to welcome you to Exploring the Prophetic Podcast. I have a passion for how the prophetic gifts can change the world around us. They make simple, everyday people like you and I a catalyst for life-changing experiences with the supernatural. On this podcast, I have friends from all different backgrounds who each have a powerful story to tell about how the prophetic is shaping their world. I invite you to be part of the conversation. This is Exploring the Prophetic. Today on Exploring the Prophetic, we have my new friend, Miles McPherson, who is leading the charge from his own life experience, but also from the crisis in America over racism. And before you either go, yes, or you go, ah, either one, because this is such a touchy subject that has so many facets to it. Miles has a revelation and he's gotten this revelation through his deep walk with God. He leads one of the largest churches in the country. It's in San Diego, California called the Rock Church. Give it up for Rock Church. Those of you who are listening, we love you guys. But he is an incredible pastor and communicator, and he never wanted to be on the issue of racism. As a matter of fact, when he started to feel this burden from God or this mandate from God, he said that it actually, he, he started weighing the cost of it and didn't want to do it. But then he just felt the love of God impress him so much to be a voice over this issue. And because of that, he's at a national platform and an international platform to really share some things that I think is a new take and new understanding and gives new tools for how to talk about this. He's written a book recently called The Third Option. We're going to talk, we don't normally do product specific podcasts. And so this isn't one, but I wanted to bring up the book because I read it and I was really impacted by it. I was impacted by the revelation and I wanted to talk to him about behind the revelation. Like, how did you get this? How did you go there? So it's a little bit longer of a normal Exploring the Prophetic podcast, but I think it's going to be worth listening to. Right before we get there, here's a word from our sponsor. Hey, Exploring the Prophetic audience. I have a new book out called Modern Prophets, and I wrote this book specifically to give a theology, but also practical application for how to apply the gift, the ministry, and the office of the prophet into your life. So this is people who have the gift of prophecy, which is all believers. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, go after love like your life depends on it and eagerly pursue prophecy and prophecy proves love. Then there's the prophetic ministry, people who carry this into their church, into their sphere of influence, into their business, their workplace, and they just consistently are carrying the times and seasons, what God's doing in those places with people or with industries. Then there's prophets, and how do we apply a modern-day prophet to today? And I'm giving you not only the theology of why it's a big deal to understand the prophetic and how you can engage this incredible gift set in your life, but also I'm giving you a lot of starter models and a practical application for how to do this. One of the things I love right now is that God wants to bring dignity back to the prophetic. There's billions of dollars going to the psychic medium industry because prophets have not risen up. People have not risen up with the true prophetic gifts to hear God's voice. God has an original intention over all things he created, and we get to see his intention, and we get to call it forth on the earth right now. So this book's going to help you do that. It's available in bookstores all around the world right now. It's in several languages. Modern Prophets. Get yours at Barnes & Noble's, Amazon.com or bullsministries.com now. Please stand with me to welcome Miles McPherson. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. What's up? We are here. <laughs> I'm here, baby. You're here. You're I'm here. here. I can't believe it. <laughs> we met over yeah. Skype because of Greg, one of your pastors who we love. Yeah. And he's like, you have to, you have to meet 
Miles. And I was like, I, how would I ever meet Miles? He goes, no, I mean, like, I'm going to introduce you to Miles. And I geeked out because I've known yeah, about you forever. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm actually a little bit fanboying this entire time, but I'm playing it cool. Fanboy? I'm fanboying you hard. <laughs> you, have all these, you have all these new terms. What was the term you gave me earlier about the, the potty train? Night oh, train? Night training? Night training? Night train is Come a train. Night train. That's a, that's My a, four-year-old is night train. We had night train. That's what that was. <laughs> we, we call it potty train, and now you call it fanboy. We call it man, uh, man crush. Yeah, it's the same thing. I have a man. It's, it's, it's pretty ridiculous, but I'll, I'll play it as cool as I can. It'll be good. So, uh, <laughs> so give me kind of a, a big glimpse into your world right now. What are you, what are you doing, and, and what are you working on? You know, a year ago, God said, I want you to be more intentional about making disciples. And I said, what's a disciple? And he gave me a definition of having a disciplined pursuit of the heart of the Father. And God said, okay, that's what I want. Wow. started to change my heart. And um, through that process, um, I probably have more focus and clarity about the next 10 years. I don't know how long on specific things I'm supposed to do. One is talk about the third option and bring unity to the country and help people understand that. Um, stuff in the movies. I just got offered a movie role yesterday. It's amazing. <laughs> come on. And, um, and actually, I had two opportunities come to me in the last two weeks and, 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 um, and, uh, and then make disciples, raise up preachers. We're going to have a bunch of preachers next year from our church preach on stage from teenagers. I heard that there's a 12 year old girl in our school that can bring it. I cannot wait. I'm wow. so excited. Wow. Um, and, and so I, th- I'm so excited, more excited than ever in, in my life. You should be because of how much is synergizing. It just feels like there's synergy around you with all your relationships and all the things you've built. And prophecy. And prophecy. This is this right here. You know, I, I hope that all y'all y'all speak pro- prophetically. And and Mike and Greg have been you know uh, pushing me and not pushing me but encouraging me. And and I you know thank you very much, you guys, for for doing that. <laughs> and, and, um, so. I just love seeing God do stuff, and whenever I see God do something, somebody I say, "I want that." Absolutely, <laughs> you have collected that. I think you're very um, adaptable. I think you adapt easy. But you said something today. We did a seminar together for marketplace leaders, and I liked how you described how you can almost reverse engineer, and you can see where you've heard from God, and it's given you courage for the future. But I want to, I want to kind of highlight this first, the third option book, because it really is a plan of unity. It's not just about racism itself. It's about unifying people. And um, one of the things you said to me, which I can relate to in a different way, you said, you know, basically I don't want to just be the poster boy for this and that's it. Like I don't want this mm-hmm. to become such an identifying marker. And I felt the same way for prophecy, funny enough. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't want to be the poster boy for prophecy. Prophets are weird. I mean, like you go into Pentecostal circles and they're wearing robes and blowing all kinds of horns. And I'm like, that is not who I am. I mean, God bless all those people. Seriously. <laughs> There might be some. Might be here if you're here. If you're like flag is your identity, I bless you. But I, you know, I remember when I just I started to get more amped up, and people were like, and there's people who will only see you how they're introduced to you too as well, and so they won't even know about your church or the outreaches that you guys do and the evangelism anointing you have and the whole thing. They may only see you as this, but so, so I, I hear the price that there is in this because mm-hmm. to be so defined because you're defining something. Is, is a price, but it's also very interesting. How did God lead you on this journey? Because again, I said before, it's a book, it's a message. So the third option is here, and I would encourage you all to get it. Those of you who are listening on podcasts, get it. But how, I mean, what's the story? What, where did this come from? You know, I don't, when I was a kid, I grew up um, 
in a black neighborhood. I have a white grandmother and I have Chinese black grandmother and two black grandfathers. And my white grandmother was sent from Jamaica, all from Jamaica, West Indies. My white grandmother was sent to Jamaica, Queens, New York, so she wouldn't marry a black Jamaican. Anybody oh, who, wow. Anybody who had been in Jamaica, Queens, know there's some black Jamaicans there. You know what I'm saying? So she meets a black Jamaican from Jamaica. So he's, <laughs> he's like double chocolate. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so he can't go in her house. She marries him. They disown her. We never met wow. them. They live 15 minutes away. To this day, we never met anybody from her family. And so my house was white, Chinese, black, Jamaican, you know, and light skin, dark skin. And so that was my house. I went to school for eight years in a white neighborhood and I got called names because I wasn't white, but I got called names in my neighborhood because I wasn't black enough for something. So I got it in both places, but then my house was, was everybody. Football teams were everybody. And Martin Luther King was killed when I was eight. Um, and I remember, wow. I remember being eight, thinking, you know, how unfair it was, and yeah. and then what do we do? So I think all throughout my ministry life, uh, even before ministry, when I was playing football, and my brother was a quarterback, and when we were young, black quarterbacks were not fashionable. I would argue with people all my childhood about how there was racism in football, and I just it just kept burning, kept burning, kept burning. I became a pastor, and one of the probably the most Vivid days was when OJ was acquitted. Yeah. And that Sunday, I preached on racism and I went in the back and cried. I just remember seeing how divided the country was and it just broke my heart because I knew white yeah. people and loved white people. My grandmother's white and I knew black people and loved black people. And I knew that the, the ones that were talking about each other, I knew both from both neighborhoods wow. and they didn't know each other. And I was like, y'all don't know. You just don't know. So I had this burden to make this complicated thing very simple and give people tools to take a step towards appreciating the God image in everybody. Well, it's interesting too, because again, reverse engineering, and it looks like God puts you to where you had to have the conversation because of your family. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, like this burden comes from this place of passion and you, you lead a very uh, inter- integrated crowd. You lead mm-hmm. like your, your own churches, every kind of race. United like, Nations, like, Skittles totally, right now. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> United Nations is a church. So... Put to maybe the voice of um, when, you, when you had that moment, how did you know it was going to come out in a book? And then when it started coming out, what was the response? Yeah, I, you know, one of the motivations was, is a, is a businessman told me once, you hire to pain. In other words, you do everything you can until you, till it hurts not to hire someone to do it. Yeah. So I ministered to pain, you know, it, it just kept hurting me and kept bothering me, kept bothering me. And it was a burden, uh, like Nehemiah, he had a burden, yeah. right? And he just couldn't, could yeah. not, couldn't ignore it. And so I got, I, I was going to write a book three years ago called Enough is Enough. And it was basically God saying to the church, I'm tired of you. I'm tired of how you treat gays. I'm tired of how you treat racism. I'm tired of how wow. you treat them. And, 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 and so one, the one chapter on racism I wrote as in the proposal and I was writing I'm like man I wish I could write a whole book on this and the publisher came back and said can you write a book on racism wow and I was like good however I did not know what I was doing well and it's it's at a time when you almost can't say anything about it without getting in trouble on any side you almost can't say anything about racism without getting in trouble with someone because people are so divided but then your message because I, I, I read stuff all the time on, on this. I actually really care about this space. And I read your book, and I heard you speak first, and I read the book right after, and I was like, finally, clarity. 
uh, there's, there's, you quantified something that, for not just the church, but for society, you quantified something that was like, we now have language, like you said, tools and language. And it felt like, to me, like a modern take of Martin Luther King. Like he, he had the dream, but you're giving us tools to walk it out. Yeah. That's what I was saying. I was like, okay, someone defined a dream. But, you know, he had the dream of everybody, our sons all living together and being mm-hmm. best friends. But, but somebody else has to give us, like, the language. And, and I feel like there's been so little uh, emotional intelligence or s- racial intelligence or whatever in, in, this, in this sense. And I felt like this was an installment in there. And so it felt like such a spiritual moment to me reading it. Um, tell me about, like, why is it called the third option? I know you describe it right mm-hmm. away, but talk about the third option and then talk a little bit about the books just so everyone who's listening who has, a, who has no clue what I'm right, talking right. about. Uh, and, 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 and let me tell you, when I started writing it, I knew hardly nothing that's in the book now. Oh, wow. I, I was stumbling. I had a few stories and anecdotes, but I didn't have a book. Wow. And, and God brought people into my life who dropped knowledge on me, and I was like, oh, dang. Yeah. So uh, in every race conversation, there's a us versus them. You're forced to pick a side. And whether it's Fox or CNN, black, white, for or against immigrants, for or against police. So the yeah. devil's about division. So we always feel like, what side am I on? And then whatever side you pick, you are automatically the adversary of the other side. It's like when Joshua was leading the Israelites into the promised land in Joshua 5. He, he, he was confronted by the commander of the Lord's army. And he says, are you for us or adversaries? And so in, in, in the, the, the enemy in our racism is the devil. So he says, if you're on this side, those people <laughs> yeah. are your adversary. Yeah. And so that's how we live. And so if you're a Republican, you can never agree with a Democrat or vice versa. If you're for the police, you, you, you can't be both. So I said, wait a minute. The third option is that we honor what we have in common because we have more things in common than our differences. And usually the one difference is your political stripe or your ethnicity. That's one thing. Yeah. But we have thousands of things that are in common. We're, all, we're 99% genetically identical. We all bleed red. We have a stomach, a heart, lungs, you know, a brain. We like to sleep. We like to eat. I can go on and on and on. Yeah. And so if we focus on those things, the differences that we have actually become benefits. So this book is, is designed to give people tools to, to understand how to see through our blind spots, how to understand how the language we use is divisive, yeah. uh, why we should never say we don't see color, because we only say we don't see color when we see color. <laughs> oh, so weird, yeah. <laughs> so those kind of things. And it's funny because, like, you know, I have a four to six-year-old, like we've talked about, and um, they don't see color, but then they'll say something like, Harper's like, I love her skin. It's so pretty and brown. You know, yeah, she's yeah, six. Yeah. I wish I had brown skin. It's just so beautiful. Like the, yeah, yeah. the kids, and it's like, you don't want to say, there's no color, don't look. Because it is beautiful. There's differences. At the same time, we're, we've all been afraid. Like, how do we say what? Because everything's so political right now, and it's not, we're not being human. And that's the lie, is that you, 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 sh- to say you don't see color to the person of color means you just erased everything erased that they are identity. and what comes with their color. And I remember the first time someone said that to me, I, I thought they had stigmatism. Like, I didn't know what they were saying, right? And, and they thought they were like building a bridge. I was like, oh, I, I felt sorry for them. And they're like, no, 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 we, we, we can see. We just don't see yours. And I was like, well, how do you know, how do you know I have a color you don't see if you can't see it? I was like, oh, just now you think I'm stupid, right? Um, you know, there was a lady, there was a lady who, went, who went and got a tan in Hawaii. It was a white lady. She got a tan, and, and she came back, and she was, you know, trying to get this guy to call her. And she was throwing her tan, boop, boop, you know, throwing the stuff 
stuff out in front of this guy and he wouldn't call her. And it's amazing how we celebrate, you know, a tan that you get in Hawaii. But when you get a tan in the womb, we invalidate it. Right? Wow. So we on. can see that tan, but we wow. can't see that tan. So it's really just stop, just stop and, and turn, change the conversation. The conversation is I either, here are the two options. I don't see you. Oh, I see you and I have an issue. Why can't it be I see you and I appreciate what God made? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's really yeah. not complicated. And I will also say this, white's a color. Yeah. You know, I was listening to a philosopher and theologian, uh, a famous philosopher and theologian. You might have read about him. His name is Fred G. Sanford. Um, <laughs> That's Fred G. Sanford. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he was robbed, and the police came and said, you know, was the perpetrator colored? He said he was colored white. And, and here's the thing. White people, I think, are more colored than anybody, because here's the deal. White people, in the, in the, in the spring, they were white. In the summer, some get brown and some get red. <laughs> Like your daughter, I think she turns red, right? Yeah, yeah. And then when they get cold, they turn blue. Oh my God. Are you following what I'm saying? Yeah. So there's four colors right there. Yes. I got brown and brown. I just want you to know, it. I'm tan right now, just so you all know. This is called, I am deeply tan. I just want you to appreciate that I'm deeply tan. Yeah, yeah. But, but, the, but the thing is that the devil says white people and people of color, those are your two options. Third wow. option is that we're all just another shade of brown and it changes. Yeah. No, I love that. So, so part of and you go way deeper than that too in the book, which I love, but part of this, how have you seen this, you know, even in your own community and the response of people, how have you seen this move people forward? Like, what are some of the God stories that have come out of this? You know, God stories are, um, I told that story at a pastor's conference. There were like 3,000 pastors. Well, I told this message and this pastor that I know came up to me crying. And he apologized for two things. I don't remember one of them. I just remember the second one, which was, I'm sorry I said that. Because he didn't realize what he was communicating, what was being heard. Yeah. And, and I think people, you know, the social narrative is the story that shapes how you see the world. And so when you're a little kid, your parents, your neighborhood, your school teaches you who's safe, who's not safe, who's smart, who's not smart, who works hard, who doesn't work hard. And, and everything about wh- how to interpret what you see on television and what, to look, what news station to look at. But the problem is that we only have, we're only one perspective. There's seven billion social narratives. Yeah. And I think the God story for me are the people from, every, I've been in black churches, white churches, diverse churches, Hispanic churches, and then in Spanish for a Spanish pastor's conference, um, that people all go, I didn't know that. And they now have permission to, to learn. As a matter of fact, one of the things I say up front is that you can be racially offensive and not be a racist. Yeah. And people think if I'm racially offensive, doesn't that mean I'm a racist? So if that means I'm a racist because I don't believe I'm one, I'm not racially offensive. So you can't learn. <laughs> and so if you, if you give people opportunity to learn and, and room to say I was wrong and do something different. The, the, the mo- most important thing is we can't just tell people you're wrong here, you're wrong here. You have to give people tools on what to do next. And, and this is not a black-white book. Yeah. This is a us-them book. This applies to you know, whether you're rich or poor or you're, you, you're against, the, there's a chapter on it in the police. Yeah. Uh, police are people. My son's a cop. My dad was a cop. They're humans. 
They're humans. They're not all bad. They're not all good. They're humans just like everybody else. Um, but how can we uh, have tools to understand what to do next and then how to move forward in building bridges? And it's not complicated because people want to get along. Yeah, that's so good. And I think a lot of times we talk about, you know, in my world, I'm, I'm trying to help people understand that prophecy is not a, just a verbalized communication. It's actually people who set standards, people who solve complicated problems because they have a revelation. And this to me, when I, when I read this and I've heard you, it's a revelation that's setting a new standard or, or helping people understand something that they really have been powerless. And even the bias chapter, like I was, uh, when you talk about biases, I was like, guilty. I'm, I'm guilty. And I hate yeah. this that I'm guilty. It's, there's a shame attachment that comes when you recognize something and you're like, I'm, I feel like I'm one of the least racist people in the whole world. And then you do the bias chapter and I'm like, oh, great. You know, like, that sucks. You know, my best friend is from Guatemala. You know, my, like, all my closest friends are some other co- But then you read certain things and you're like, I, can, I need to grow. Like, no, I can grow. Like, I need to grow because I'm not going to experience the fullness of what God's put on the earth if I don't have the right eyes for it and the right understanding. Right. You, you, you talk about... Prophecy, it comes, you know, I read your book, it talks about the heart of God. He was preparing me for this podcast. I, well, it's about prophecy, and I never answered these questions about my book in the context of prophecy. Yeah. But as I was thinking about it, it's, what I wanted to do was express God's heart on how we should see and view and treat each other. How do we love people? Yeah. And how do you love people that don't like you? How do you love people that you're scared of? I mean, I have people in our church. Listen, we have a very diverse church. And people go, oh, y'all get along. Well, we get along, but, <laughs> but there are people in our church who are scared of people in our church. Yeah. You know, they said, listen, they told me this, and I know it's fact, but they told me if I saw that person outside, I would go on the side of the street, but they sit next to them in church. Oh, my gosh. There's white supremacists who are white supremacists now who go to our church. Wow. They're they're, they're, they're skinheads now. That would be the weirdest church to go to. Is that amazing? But but think think how amazing that is, right? That is amazing to me. Right? And and I know them. (laughs) I was talking to a white supremacist the other day, and and I said, and we were laughing. I'm rubbing on his head. I'm hugging on him saying, brother, I know he's a skinhead. I'm rubbing on his head going, brother, talk to me. Tell me. We're laughing. How does this work? We're having fun right now. Yeah. Tell me how this works. And he's laughing, trying to explain it to me, right? And, and I'm like, you're not making any sense to yourself. Yeah. You, you don't even believe it. Now, and so, so people, people deep down are stuck, and they're like, how do I get out of my stuckness? Because we're made for relationships. So good. That's so good. Hey, it reminds me, years ago, I, I think it was like about 12 years ago now, a friend of mine is the grandson of one of the people who leads Ku Klux Klan. And so he took me, I was in Louisiana, and he took me to one of the main headquarters, and it was a trailer park. And I didn't want to go. We were just happy to be driving by. He goes, I want you, I want you to see this. And I'm like, where am I going? Like, what, what are the, and the people, it was like the 1950s call. I'm sorry, it's a trailer park. It's a trailer park. No, for real, it's a trailer park. It's like a land, and there's a few, like, Everything's as ugly as you get. It's super poverty. It's like the old-fashioned 1950s movies. There's guys in white T-shirts that are all like spit up on and whatever. There's little kids, little boys who are in their underwear running around like who were like six years. You're like, you should have clothes. You're six. You should have clothes on. And we're pulling up in there. And they were all looking at us, but they saw him and they knew who he was. So they let us come in. And, we're, and I had a black girlfriend at the time. Before I was married to Sheree, I had a black girlfriend. And so I'm like, Name what? Lucretia. 
No. And, and so we're, we're pulling up in here. And all of a sudden, I got... That was really bad. I, I got so much anxiety. And, it's, and so much, like, this... It's almost like when I saw Satan fall from the sky kind of moment where you're like, this is what this is? Like, this is these... This powerful movement has degenerated to a trailer park. The guy, his grandpa, who was one of the main leaders of it, comes out in a white t-shirt, like holy jeans that were like overalls, and is like, oh, yeah, what are y'all doing? And I'm like, this is a movie. This is like Deliverance or something. Like, this is a movie. And I was so grossed out by just the whole thing, you know? And then I was like, I just felt the father say, Jesus died for them too. Sure. And I know that, and sure. everyone knows that, but you're in front of these people that I'm completely grossed out by, like just right. defended by. And so he's like, what did you bring this guy here for? You know, and, and I'm like, I'm a pastor. He's like, what does that mean? You know, like, what, what, what are you pastor of, whatever. And, I, and I, I, ended up, I prayed for them, and I start prophesying over these families. And I'm like, and it was one of the hardest things for me to do because in their eyes is complete hatred and ignorance. But I'm realizing, like, this guy probably didn't go to school after eighth grade. I'm not making a gross judgment. It's literally, like, his, the grandson was like, most of these guys aren't educated. They dropped out of school. They're kind of like an organized gang in a way, this, this particular branch. And I just thought, this is what has per- perpetrated a mindset in this generation. It's so demonic I had, and obvious. I had skinheads in my green room a month ago. Wow. And, you know, and, the, and di- different from the guy that I was telling you about a minute ago, that was last week. Wow. At, at the church. <laughs> and and, and he's, he's a normal. Just uh, bring skin to funny. He says to me, my girlfriend's been trying to get me to come to church. And she says, you know what's funny? All his friends go to The Rock. Wow. And so, so it, it, to me, it, it's, I don't want to say comical, to God, through God's eyes, God says, look what I'm doing. I'm like, God, you're awesome. That's what I wow. mean by comical, right? God, you're awesome. Wow. And he is. And I think, obviously, you're, you've created a space, not just in your church, but you're creating a space for your message that's allowing people who, on both sides, who would have felt unsafe by hearing a message of tolerance or hearing a message of unity or reconciliation. And all of a sudden, they're sitting in the atmosphere of it, even if they don't agree with it, somehow they're safe in that. Mm-hmm. And you're ministering to them a new message. And I think it really comes from a spiritual fathering place. I think it comes from people who are fathers who carry love are safe everywhere. Not, they're safe anywhere. You know, it's just, and I, I feel like there's that, almost that civil rights part of you that's like so naturally you, but it doesn't need to be broadcast. It just comes through. And so talk about that space, the civil rights space a little bit and like what God's doing because you've been getting, you've been attracting national attention. Let's talk about that. Uh, I wrote, um, if anybody's written a book, it's, it's brain damage like to the nth degree. And, <laughs> um, and I wrote several versions of it. But one version I wrote, I had a, um, a lady read by, by accident. By accident, she just showed up. I don't know if Denise is here, but she showed up. And I said, hey, I'm giving this to the publisher. And she read it and said, that's not Pastor Miles. Oh, wow. And she said, that's an angry person. Wow. And I was like, yeah, I'm an angry soul. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I didn't want that to be the message. Yeah. But I was. I was hurt. I was, I was mad right, at stuff because people just kept saying, no, you know, that's not true. That's not true. I said, yes, it is. I, I, can't, I don't want to get into that, wow. but I was, I was. So I had to rewrite it um, to represent 
what I was trying to accomplish and what I was trying to say wow. in the way I wanted to say it. Um, and it went through many iterations because um, I kept meeting people that would give me more wisdom about how to create a narrative that was more unifying and it wasn't a black-white thing, it was a us-them thing. So the us can be anybody and the them could be anybody, but the principles apply to everybody in the world. And so you can apply it to anything you want. Yeah. Um, but this, so there's a part of me that is very much about justice because God is about, he's a God of justice. Um, so that edge is still there, but at the same time, I have to temper it because if people don't listen to your message, then it, you're preaching to the wind. Yeah. And so how do I say it where people go, huh? I, I, I like to, one of my internal personal identifications of myself as a translator to translate something complicated to simple. Yes. And this was like a challenge. How can I make this complicated thing simple? And the process is like, you know, I had some white people saying, you better not say that. And some black people saying, you better say that. And that was the same point, right? And so how am I going to, and these are people I respected and love, right? Totally. So, and I'm like, okay, I'm in trouble. So I got I to gotta figure out how to thread that needle. And so, but I said, I know God, man, you can do that. And, and, and God did that because the devil, the devil is the enemy. It is a spiritual battle and he's got us all, all of us pent up in our corners. And so, yes, I'm about right justice, but for God. Yeah. See, see in the world, you can be an activist that says my side against your side. And that's what we see on the news a lot. Activists, nothing wrong with activists. Then you have a pacifist that says, Hey, why can't we all get along? There's nothing. It's not that bad, but we're not called to be either. Guess what we're called? to be prophetic wow, yeah, and say there's a higher standard that yeah. all of us can live to and that's the heart of God. That is so good. And, and so really the book is how, to, how do we prophetically look at this complicated thing at a whole different level. Here's the thing. I was in a, in a space where I spoke at, it was at one of our campuses I spoke and it was an audience from outside the church and there were um, uh, white, black, black Muslims, um, Jews, um, uh, Latinos in this space. And a friend of mine who's head of black Muslims here in San Diego was there. And everybody's got very different views. <laughs> and I was like, yes, this is the perfect. Like, how many of you would just be like, no, thanks? <laughs> He's like, yes. Yeah. Let's get there. And, and to, to hear them all say the same thing, I, it made me think. It made me think, and, and because that's what it's for. It's, now, I'm not trying to give you power against that person. I'm trying to help you see that person like God does. Wow. And it, so it applies to everybody. So I got to be the justice guy, but for God's justice, not man's justice. Wow. Wow. Well, your, your uniqueness um, serves us all well. We, we so appreciate you. I want to... I know there's so many other facets of you, and I know we did focus mostly on this. Um, I do want to just highlight, we have a few minutes, so I want to highlight, what is, what is your favorite thing that God's doing through the campuses of The Rock? Because you guys do crazy outreach that's impacting the city. I mean, like, you guys are on the ground people, feet on the ground, and you're creating conversations in San Diego region that are no one else is having. And, and you're being listened to by the government and you're being listened to by the powers that be, police forces and stuff. Like, talk about any, you don't have to talk about that specifically, but what is one of your favorite things that you're seeing right now as your church has matured to this place? I think the, the thing I'm most excited about are the people who are going to preach next year. I don't even know them all, so I don't like have a list, yeah. right? But I know they're there. 
Um, and especially the kids. When I think of the kids, like I want to do an uh, in and out. What, what do you call it? In and out? In and out hangout. Where, where you go to in and out. Please don't do this until we give you instruction on how to do this. <laughs> but, you know, you go to a place and you have 30 seconds to share your testimony. Oh, wow. 15 seconds. My name is Miles. I'm 16 years old. I used to do drugs and I gave my life to Jesus. And now, um, you know, I'm a straight A student and Jesus set me free. If you want to know any more information, I'll be sitting over here. That's awesome. See, and, 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 but that's step one to developing these preachers. You got to do it in 30 seconds then three minutes. And then, and, and so I'm, I'm probably most excited about not only me multiplying myself and them, but all the staff and the leaders multiplying themselves and other people yeah. and seeing people who've been just sitting and listening and saying, no, now someone's invested in me and now I'm going to go start to do ministry and they're just going to go, bam. You oh, know, see, see that's, what, that's what I'm probably most excited about. 2020 is going to be a good year. And so oh, it's going to be off the hook. It's going to be off the hook. <laughs> That's and, 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 you know, I'm, I'm doing training for this book for corporations and, wow. and, and law enforcement. So I'm, I, I did a training uh, for the book for the DA's office, and now they helped me get it, you know, to the law enforcement. So I, that's where I want to be. I want to be out there where people aren't, don't have the, God's perspective accessible to them. Yeah. And they go, wow, okay, it makes sense to me because God makes sense. Well, and I, I think I want to back up to that point because it's such a powerful one. And I, this is part of the, my favorite part of the, the story is that you're solving a problem and creating a conversation that is one of the biggest problems that like the police force would have as far as how do we, how do we teach this? Because what we're using isn't working and what we're using yeah. is creating more conflict. And then all of a sudden, a Christian named Miles comes in and wrote a book and you actually are teaching yeah, yeah. from a Christian, very Christian perspective yeah. and this environment out there and, and it's being not only received but then their word of mouth is getting it to other different arenas. And I, I just wanted to highlight that because I know I just said what you said again but I'm highlighting it because I think, you know, Christianity means something and it looks like something which is transformation and you guys have the fruit of this in so many ways but the fact that our nation is the most divided. I know this podcast is heard in many nations, but our nation is the most divided it's ever been. Part of it's because we can now quantify the problem. For the first generation of people who are intelligent enough to state there's a problem. Like, we're sick of the problem. There is a problem. We're not going to pretend there's not a problem. And then part of it's because some of the heinous things that are just happening. And then God gives you a message. And I really think we're at that time. And I, I, I listen to probably 25 of the guys who are quantifying this right now. But there is anger in them. There's a lot of anger on all sides. And it was the first time. I'm so glad you said that about anger because I don't see the anger in that. So God used that woman as a catalyst to pull something out that I think would have just watered it down just a little bit. And it's so beautiful because now it has the fruit it has. But this to me is the signs of like when you really hear from God, when you're really carrying the message, it has impact, not just in a small way, but it's a multiplied effect impact. And that's one of the things I want to highlight about like we're trying to highlight a prophetic gift that's not just esoteric and symbolic and parabolic, metaphorical, but it's actually a gift that changes the world around us. And so you're doing it. It's just so amazing. Yeah. And, and, and let me say that the anger that people have, I get. Yeah. You know, I'm there's stuff that I'm angry about. There's yeah. stuff that I'm hurt about still. And, you know, it's stuff that makes me mad every day that I see stuff. So that is very real. But, yeah. uh, you know, the anger of man doesn't bring about the righteousness of God. So I had to say, okay, that has a place. But uh, for me, I, I wanted to go a different route. 
Yeah, no, there's that place where you look at Jesus and go, the same Jesus I called to God of love whipped people out of the temple and beat up the money changers. I mean, like, there's a time for godly anger over these kinds of issues. But I'm, you know, we're, we're dividing what maybe I'm trying to say more of like that that anger that doesn't isn't necessarily helpful <laughs> to yes, the conversation, yes, 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 yes. which is good. Well, tell me this as we end. Um, what is the most risky thing in this season that God's asked you to do that you said yes to? Yeah, yeah. The most risky thing I ever did in my life was write that book. I, I, wow. I, I, for over a year, was completely fearful that it was going to destroy the church and um, history. People of color deal with race every day. We deal with racism every day. We talk about it every day. We experience it every day. For the most part, white people do not. And in our culture now, white people have to, and it's not comfortable. And and so now for me, coming to The Rock, it's like, oh, it's the comfortable place. Now it's going to be the uncomfortable place. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and, and and trust me, I make it uncomfortable, but in a in a, in, a, in other ways. But, but you but, poke but, the bear a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. We, we y'all know yeah. we, we 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 jam you up every week. And by the way, you know tomorrow we're going to jam you up again on on uh, on, on, on uh, agreements we make with the devil. But but race is a different thing. Race is like whoa. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the devil's like, oh oh yeah, you messed up. You messed up. This book, you know. And, and, and there was a time where I didn't have the message that I have now and, and didn't know how people receive it. it I was, so I was scared for over a year, like petrified, like petrified. Wow. And I remember going to a, to a and I would test it out on other groups. Before, you know, like I went to a group, it was 3,000 white men in Milwaukee. And, <laughs> and, and I said, amazing. hey, I, I, I went to, the, I was speaking at a men's conference. I said to the pastor, hey, I think I'm about doing this talk that I just wrote. It's on racism. And he said, this is what the pastor said. And he's white. He said, he's the pastor of the church. He says, this is the most segregated city in the, in the nation. Wow. In the nation. When I came here, this is what he said. When I came here, I was told, if you want to try to unite this church, you're going to find out how racist it is. This is what wow. he told me. Wow. I was like, okay, well, that's, that's good testing ground for me. <laughs> <laughs> so I just went for it. How did it work? <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> I mean, literally, guys was like, dudes, dudes came to me and said, we were, hug- we were hug- just finding black dudes in the lobby trying to hug them. You know, it was like... <laughs> The one black man in the church like got five black dudes for, in there, right? For the whole night, you know. So, wow. but, I, and, and, and there were probably seven different ta- times that I did it where I was, okay, like, how's this gonna, how are people gonna take this? How are people gonna take this? Um, because people, they do this. Yeah. And, and it, as soon as you say a word, they're just, you know, there's a term called white fragility, and white fragility is the inability for some white people to handle racial stress. It's fragile. So as soon as you say it, it's like the wall goes up. And so I was, how do I get around that, right? I didn't even know that term, right? So, so that was a, a big scary process in writing the book. You know, I, I got to say, I got to talk about this topic. I got to talk about this topic. I got to talk about this topic. Um, and how do I say it where people will not shut down, where they will go, I get it. Yeah. And not feel attacked, and so so I have a whole chapter in there on privilege, but it really it it confronts 
the privilege we all have mm-hmm. and the principles. Because, listen, I had two parents. I went to a private school. My dad and mom, were, especially my dad, because a lot of my friends didn't have a dad, was their dad. I shared my dad. Yeah. I didn't hold my dad. So my advantage wasn't just kept to me, which is the problem. It's not that you have an advantage. You do. If you're in a majority in any culture, you have the advantage. If you're right-handed... Right-handed people rule the world because there's more right-handed people. So uh, your desk is right-handed, golf clubs are right-handed, baseball mitts are right-handed. And so you have an advantage. The problem is is when you hold it to yourself. Wow. And you don't share the advantage for for the left-handed people. Yeah. So I shared my dad. It wasn't like, I got a dad, you don't, you're less than me. It's like, here's my dad. So Here's my mom, right? And so it was, how how do I talk about privilege slash advantage where people go, oh, I get it. Now I know if you can buy a right-handed catches mitt the first time you go to the sporting goods store, I'm left-handed. I may never find one. So when I tell you I can't find one, you think I'm making it up because you found yours. Yeah. So when someone says I can't get a job or I can't do this, you think they're making it up. But you're not left-handed, so so you don't even know that that disadvantage exists. Right? So how do you say those things where people go, oh, well, maybe all of them aren't making it up. And by the way, when you, when you give people names that are less Someone than... Someone just got convicted. <laughs> it's called right privilege, right? So, uh, uh, so it's... So <laughs> That's amazing. But if, but if you think about it, it's like, okay, if you're right-handed, you had the desk, you could write with your elbow. I was out here, all left-handed people were out here right now, yeah. right? Um, and, and when we give people labels, you know, the greatest commandment is love of your neighbor as yourself. But if you... L- rename someone less than neighbor, you don't have to love them. It's so true. So you say those people, well, they're not my neighbor, so I don't need to love them. You could treat them any way you want. And so whether the, those people are immigrants or those people are black or white or rich or whatever, as soon as you dehumanize them or cowboys and Indians, they're savages. They weren't humans. Right? So do with them whatever you want. String yeah. them up because they're yeah. savages. And so you have to put the name, la- you put the label you know, the devil gives us labels that put lids on our potential. God t- gives us labels that takes the lid off. And I'm, so I'm, good. You know, so give people a label that's positive. That's so good. Ah, it's a restoration of identity. I love it. I just feel like Jesus, you know, said there's going to be times where races will come against races or kingdoms, nations against nations. But he also set hope that we would find, through the kingdom of God, we'd find the Father's kingdom, which is everybody. Yeah. And I feel like the church is going to have such an answer. And this is, to me, one of the first major installments that I've witnessed of an, in our generation of an answer for racism. And I'm so, and I know it's not just about racism, but I'm just so happy. And I'm yeah. so happy that God put this in you and that you that yeah. got over your fear and you stood. Because I think it's great for people to hear who have a message you're supposed to bring or something you're supposed to bring that, uh, uh, you know, a, a super pastor of our generation is like going, oh my gosh, counting the cost on that level. They need to hear that. And it's, and it's God's doing things right now that do have a cost to them. And luckily on this, this side, you paid most of the cost just by living as a black man. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to pay it by the division of your church. Like it's actually, there's a building going on because of that. But man, thank you. Thank you. How do people get a hold of you? How do people get a hold of it? Um, 
go to Amazon and buy the book Third Option, the third option, and at Miles McPherson, all my social media handles at Miles McPherson. And I'm going to encourage you, those of you who are listening on the podcast, make sure to listen to Miles' weekly sermon, which is amazing. Yeah. I have gotten a hold of some of these, and I'm just, I feel like I'm, I, I said it earlier today, I go to school. Like, you're one of those guys that you have a gift in the way that you think that changes the way we process. So thank you so much. Amen. So appreciate you. Amen. Hey, Exploring the Prophetic Family, this is Sean Bowles, and I don't know if you know this, but Bowles Ministries, our ministry, puts together these podcasts for you every week. If you're listening in your car or your gym or at home while you're making your kids lunch for school, whether you're listening to at church or wherever you're listening to this, we have done our best to put together a quality podcast to explore the subject of hearing God's voice with you, and we want to continue to do this, and we need your partnership. I want to encourage you. If you're loving the show, if you're connected to the show, there's three ways you can partner. Number one is we would love your prayer support. Pray for us. This is not an easy thing to do week after week after week. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of coordination. And it also takes a lot of spiritual presence, just being present with what God's doing. Number two, financially support us. We would love your financial support and partnership. We have an incredible partnership program where you can engage with a community of people who are partnering with Bulls Ministries to send the message of hearing God's voice around the world. We do events. We do, of course, this podcast. We do all kinds of things that are free things where we give videos online. We do uh, webinars. We do all kinds of things to encourage people to hear God's voice and to activate their gifts, to activate them in the faith it takes to go on this incredible journey. So financially support us by going to bowlsministries.com. And the third way you can help us is subscribe and also leave a review under the podcast and share it with your friends. Share it on your social media platform. Tell your friends about it at work. Tell your friends about it at church. And the more you help us, the word of mouth is the most powerful source of engaging the community people who are hungry for this kind of a subject. So be part of our, our ministry team, our prayer ministry team, our partnership team, but also be a voice for what you're listening to. If you love it, tell the stories of the people who are telling the stories to you. Thank you so much for listening. Come on the journey with us and please enjoy season two.